If you ever get the chance to um, speak, you'll probably find, like most people, that in the process of um, um, preparing your preach and your talk, God actually gives you challenges that you have to face up to and be aware of before you get up and actually preach them. And certainly in coming to prepare this talk about David, there are certain things that God's just really touched in me and challenged me well before I had to come and speak on this. So let's get on. Um, The title for this is A Heart Like David. Um, It's interesting, actually, when you go and you research and you look at stuff on the web, there are quite a lot of phrases to talk about heart like David. And so my thing was to try and think about, well, what does that mean, a heart like David? And so my goal is to really sort of unpack this idea of who David was, what was his life like, what does it mean to have a heart like David? Um, I will say at the front that actually you could easily do sort of a six-month series on the life of David because there's so much involved in David's life. Highs, lows, uh, revelations. But what I thought and what I feel God's asking me to speak on is just a couple of glimpses, brief moments in his life to be able to impart to you something that I feel God's wanting me to speak on. So the first thing I want to say is that... um, The context of this uh, story about David is that we go back and and the Israelites have come out um, uh, of Egypt. Um, Sim spoke about Moses, about they've entered in the promised land. Over time, the rule of the land was supposed to be by God. Uh, The judges came along and then the people said, we want to have a king. And... God basically got the prophet Samuel, anointed a person called Saul, sorry, and as a result of that, they had a king. And we know that the story doesn't go down well. Saul starts off well, but doesn't finish well at all. And so we come to a point where actually God's had enough of the fact that the king that the people wanted has not actually come to the place where God wants to take place for Israel. So what happens is that we have this place where um, David comes on the scene. And the interesting thing was is that actually it's mentioned really well in Acts 13.22 about this idea of Saul was the people's king. David was God's choice for king. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Don't you want to have that spoken over your life? A man after God's heart. And I think with this, this whole thing, journey that I've been going on and looking about David, it's like, here is God who sees someone who, as we're going to find out, is not someone who's the pinnacle, someone who's quite low, and God looks at their heart and says, that's my choice. That's who I want to be, the person that's leading. So the thing is, is that 
Samuel was the prophet of the nation, and God spoke to him and says, anoint the next king. Now, interesting, when you look at the story, Samuel goes there, and he's a little bit scared of Saul because anointing a new king means that the old king is going to come to pass. And that's not the sort of thing that a prophet wants to be able to, ooh, okay, what do we do here? But Saul, so Samuel comes, and he comes to the uh, family of Jesse. Jesse is the grandson of Ruth. So there's that lineage that takes place. And the interesting thing is, is that Samuel looks at the first, the older son, and the older son takes the mold of Saul. He's a striking tall lad, very muscular, looks like he's the one. And Samuel actually goes, surely this is the one. But God says, no. And he goes through all of the seven sons, and no. And Samuel goes, well, hang on, have I got this wrong? Because I thought, God, you said to speak over a son of Jesse. And then Jesse pipes up and says, oh, we've just got one more, but he's the youngest one, and he looks after the sheep. It's interesting, actually. What does that say about David's role in the family that everyone else, the big prophet of the nation, has come? And you might not understand this, but Samuel the prophet had a lot of prestige in the nation. Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. All the sons are there, except the one they didn't really care much about at all. David, the one who looks after the sheep. We're not going to bother about David because he's not worthy enough. But as soon as David comes on the scene, God says, that's the one. That's the one that's got a heart like me. And it's interesting that actually Samuel anoints. Now, the interesting thing, having read through that, was that he anoints it, but doesn't declare it out publicly, this is the new king. It's not like a big fanfare and saying to the whole world, this is the new king. He anoints him, directed by God. But as we'll see... David then has to go on a big, huge journey that takes many, many years until he comes to the place of stepping into the place that God's called him to be. Just to give you a bit of a background, one of the things I was looking into it was that a shepherd at that time was someone who would go out, spend quite a lot of time outside looking after sheep. And that meant that he had to spend time, often sort of like when the sheep are gazing, just sort of on his own. The thing is, and this is something that struck me so much, was God saw David's heart at that point when he was out on his own. When he was out on his own, well away from everything else, God saw his heart So what was David doing in that time? Clearly, the rest of the family had no idea of what David was doing because they disregarded him. But God saw his heart. In the private places where we come in our own private room, what's our relationship with God like? Where do we stand in the place of our private worship with God? One of the things that um, someone spoke to me one time was 
out of the time of, that you spend in your private place with God comes what comes out in public. What that means is, is that the time that you spend with just you and God in your prayer closet, your, your room, just connecting with God, out of that connection, when you step into the public arena, things start overflowing. And what David had here was a place where things were developed without anyone seeing, which would later establish things that would help him for the rest of his life. And then what happens is that um, Saul, he... Sorry, just to clarify, the Spirit of God comes and rests on David. And as the Spirit of God rests on David, the Spirit of God leaves Saul. And as a result of that, Saul starts to get afflicted. Because the whole thing is that the new king has got the Spirit of God on him. And what happens is that as Saul starts to get tormented, he feels agitated. And so one of the things that happens is that um, people start thinking, well, what can we do to help Saul? And someone says, well, we know this young guy. He's really good. He's able to really play and alleviate suffering. So they get this young guy, this young boy, David, and he comes along and he comes into the courts of the king and he starts playing and all of a sudden, things start to change. The atmosphere starts to change. And it says a number of times, not just once, but a number of times, David played and the tormenting spirits left and the presence of God was there. Now, I was thinking about how does that sort of apply to us? And one of the things was that uh, when I was uh, in Toronto... We came across a couple, a man and a wife. Man played keyboards, the wife sang. And they were very much like what David was like. They would get up and they'd just play the first chord or the first note. And all of a sudden, the presence of God was just there. They would open their voice and just sing from their heart that they'd established in their private time. And, and you would just get amazed at the presence of God when these people would just start talking. And it was just tremendous. And we had the opportunity at one time to host them in Toronto. And so we got to spend some time with them. And they were the most down-to-earth people you could think. But their passion for God was so overwhelming. And that passion was developed in the private place. When they were at their home with their kids, they would spend time just pouring out passion in worship to God. So when they got up on stage, it wasn't something that they had to drum up. They just simply did what they did in the private place out in public. And the presence of God was amazing. I can remember one time speaking to one person and then something happening and I just 
it was almost like I had to say to the person, I've got to stop because something's happening with this worship. When the worship of God is established, some things change. The atmosphere changes. Now, hear me when I say I don't necessarily want us all to learn the guitar and play because that's not the key. The key is the heart that David had in his private place to pour out his love for God was then displayed in the public place that affected the environment. Your private level of worship that you do on your own in your car will have effects on everywhere you stand. And then it's not long after that we come across this story. And the context of this story is that David actually is with his dad. All his older brothers are with the army. And you've got, it's 40 days it says that Goliath uh, taunted the Israelites and everyone's running scared. And David actually is being sent by his dad. It's almost like Jesse says, look, I've got some sandwiches, some bread. Can you take them to your brothers on the front line? So he runs along and he gives them there and it's like, well, what's going on? And they're all scared. And David's like, actually, what are you scared about? And it's like almost sort of like his older brother says, come on, you need to go away. You're embarrassing us. You're embarrassing us. Sort of go away. But David stands firm and it's like this sense of, well, what's the problem? God's greater. It's interesting, and it says, The Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. What that says to me is that David, when he was a shepherd, was confronted with lions, confronted with bears, confronted with dangerous things. We know that Jesus is the ultimate shepherd, able to leave the 99 to rescue the one. David was in that position where he was looking after those particular sheep, faced with lions, faced with bears. Now, I'm no expert, but if I was put in a place where I had a lion in front of me, I would pretty much think basically life's over. Grizzly bear, black bear, I would say polar bear, I'd probably say life is over. They run faster than humans, their claws are like razors, life's over. But David had actually fought and defeated them. So he comes across a guy and he says, well, what's the difference? God's going to protect me, he's done all that time, he's my refuge, what's the deal? And so slowly word gets to Saul, who hears this idea Oh, after 40 days of no one wanting to step forward to fight Goliath, we've finally got someone who wants to do it. Great. Who's this guy? And up steps David. Now, sources say he's anywhere from 10 to 15. You can imagine if we had a 12-year-old, imagine in your eyes someone in our church, 12-year-old, steps up to face a nine-foot giant who's got a spear, Okay, guys, I think you're, you're a little bit out of your depth here, sort of like you're not really fit to take on this guy. But David's firm. He's just like, actually, no. Who is this guy to defy what God is? And interesting, the story says, Sam, uh, Saul sort of takes and says, okay, well, we'll put you there. 
okay? And he puts his armor on David. It's interesting, actually, sometimes when we're called to step up, we need to step up into who we're called to be, not in what others have followed before. The armor that Saul had was not meant for David. David tried it on. Now, this doesn't fit. Every single one of us has our own journey that we're called to be on. And when we go on that journey, we need to be ourselves. We need to be the best that God has created us to be. Not following someone else, not following this person or that person. Because if we be like someone else, we're never going to be the best we can be. Every single one of you here has got a special design planned that no one else can fill. That's why the body of Christ is so important. Because you take one of us away and we, as a family, suffer. Because every single one of you has the DNA of God that's unique compared to everyone else. And so we've got this situation. How do we face our fears? How do we face our fears? When we're confronted with a situation in front of us, what do we do? How does the situations in front of us affect the outlook that we have on God? I remember one time Bill Johnson spoke on the goodness of God. And his heart was poured out in the fact that he had seen a number of things that were, I suppose, in the natural sense, not good. Some recent deaths of people close to him. And I remember him saying that whatever is in front of me is not going to persuade me of that fact that God is good that God is king. Even though what in front of me might seem like it's disastrous, I'm not going to be persuaded from the fact that he is ever kind, loving, and good. And that dogged determination to be able to stand and say, this is what I declare, that's the thing that sets a heart like David apart from the rest. Just to further on, so he wins the battle, and then we come to a point where um, it's, it's one of those weird things. You, you have to sort of give a slight chuckle. Um, the thing is, is that after that moment, David gets slowly elevated to a position of esteem in the land. And there's a, there's a section where a song says, I think I can't remember exactly, Saul killed tens, but David killed thousands or something like that. And that starts a trigger of Saul being slightly jealous for David because David's getting attention. But it's interesting that the Scripture says that David was esteemed in the land but didn't do anything out of desire or anything like that. He had been appointed king, but his heart was still focused on God. And it says three times, three times he's in the presence of the king Saul, and he's playing, and his 
Worship to God is affecting the room. And three times Saul gets a spear and throws it at David's head. David's quick and nimble, able to get out of the road. Three times. And the third time, David says, look, I can't hang around here anymore. I've got to go. So he heads off and he goes into these caves. And the interesting thing was he gathers a bunch of guys around him, David's men. And there's a couple of times, and I've got a couple of pictures up there, two times where David gets in a position where he can take the position of king by killing Saul. But he says no. And all these men says, look, God had spoken to you. God will put the king into your hands. Here's the evidence. Just take it. David says, no. No. I'm not going to touch God's anointed one. And I think back on my own life, and I think that there have been a number of times where I've been in situations where it's like, I need to get out of this. I'm, I'm not to the point of saying like David being chased by hundreds of armies with spears trying to kill him. But I've been in positions where I just like, I just want to get out of here. And I try to get out of my own accord and make things worse. David's heart here was like, at God's anointed time, things will change. But I'm not going to do it out of my own strength. I'm not going to go over what God wants to do. I'm going to trust in God. Even with two, 5,000 people trying to kill me, I'm not going to circumvent what God's plan is. Now, that has to have a level of faith and trust in God. Where does that traced, trust and faith come from? Well, it comes from his quiet time where he pours out. I'm going to share you a couple of um, scriptures because one of the things that I found which was so intriguing was that the 150 Psalms, David is attributed to about 75 of those. Let's read Psalm 57. Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 both say at the start that David wrote these when he was in the caves. So this gives us a glimpse of David's heart at this moment in time. It says, In you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heavens and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. And we spoke about that whole thing about God's faithfulness this morning. I am in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I'm going to stop there because one thing I found time and time and time and time again reading the Psalms of David, he pours out his heart. He pours out what he's feeling and sensing to God. 
And you read some of the Psalms and you get this overwhelming sense of overwhelming things are against him. But yet time after time, we come to a place where David says, verse 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. Verse 7, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Just let's let's, let that sink in. We've got a guy who's got 5,000 people seeking him out across the land, trying to kill him. We've got a, a king who's wanting to throw spears at him, desperately wants to kill him. David pours out his heart. God, lions are after me. But my heart is steadfast on you, and I praise you, and I worship you in the midst of the negativity and the circumstances I face. That's passion. That's a heart that says, in the midst of the storm, my heart is on you, God. I'm sold out. I'm burning for you, God. If you look at uh, Psalm 142, another psalm attributed to the time when David was in the caves. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint before I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over me. Verse 5, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Here's a guy who's just, he's so determined that his heart's going to be set on God. How do we respond when we're faced with overwhelming negativity in our life? How do we respond in situations The thing that I find, and I think um, Sim talked about this recently, we pour out our heart in expressing to God what's going on. It comes to the point of facing up to the things that are around us. And in the process of facing up to the things around us, we come to that declaration that Bill Johnson said, no matter what's happening, God, you are good. And your love endures forever. That's a heart that's steadfast, that's like built on a rock, that's never going to fade. Over a period of time, we get um, to a point where eventually the whole lands are unified, and we come to this point here. And I suppose this is the most physical showing signs of passion that we see in David's life. And the thing to me that uh, is so overwhelming is here is a guy who's a king, who's got a position of kingdom. He's in a position of authority over the whole land. Everyone respects him. And what does he do? He takes off his kingly robes, he puts on the priestly robes, And he just goes and does a dance. And he just lets loose. And I think there's an element of the fact that his 
prayers that he prayed in those psalms in the caves have come to pass. God has vindicated him. God has shown his faithfulness. And there's an overwhelming joy that he's just gone and just does this dance. And it's interesting that um, I've always got songs going over in my head. They chop and change. But this week I had three songs that I couldn't shake. And they were linked to this. The songs, and you, you might know this, the songs were um, uh, The Happy Song by Delirious. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read you the song, the lines. I could sing an unending song of how you saved my soul. I could dance a thousand miles because of your great love. My heart is bursting, Lord. To tell of all you've done or how you've changed my life and wiped away the past. I want to shout it out from every rooftop sink. For I know that I know God is for me, not against me. This is a glimpse of what David's experiencing at this point. His, his, his passion is so overwhelming, it just, he does a jig. He starts dancing. The other song, uh, one of the other songs was Undignified by Matt Redman. And I'll read this out. I will dance, I will sing, to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering the passion in my soul. I will dance, I will sing, to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering the passion in my soul. And I'll become even more undignified than this. Some would say it's foolishness, but I'll become even more undignified than this. And I, with those two songs, I was remember back to a time... These songs, I believe, came out in the 90s. And so when I was back in Australia, when those two songs came out, they were the flavor of the month. And so you'd often have them there, and we'd all jig away, yeah. And we'd all sort of go cut loose with our dancing. It was just like, yeah, because it stirs up a passion for God because it's overwhelming what God has done for us. It's overwhelming. There's another song you, none of you will know. It's a group called Mercy Me. And they've got a song called The Happy Dance. And you listen to it and it's just like, yeah. And they have everyone dancing in the film clip and going along. Because the thing is, what God has done inside us has to be let out. It's like, <laughs> there's an ad um, back in Australia. And the catchphrase was, on the inside. So the idea, I think it was selling some lot of drink or something. So the idea is that they're at a bar or at a pub or whatever. And the whole thing was is that guy would say, I'm dancing on the inside. <laughs> or I'm happy on the inside. And it's like, no, that's not the case. When the passion of God overwhelms you, you can't just help but just go, yeah. And just dance for joy for what he's done in our lives. That's the thing. Understanding what God's done is amazing. That's what David's passion for God. Let's have a look at Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me out of the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts 
a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I'll praise you forever. When you come across someone who's got a passion for God, something has to go out. I remember one time, um, years and years ago, um, someone said to me, um, these people in this church, they, they act during worship like they're at a football game. When someone scores... How interesting, you go to a football match, someone scores, and they go absolutely ballistic. And yet you go into church, it's like, oh. Go to a football match and you see passion. Why can't we have that passion that stands much, much greater, overflowing because of what God's done in our lives? That's the thing. Now, I said before, David's life is one of passion. And we come to a point in his life where he takes a step backwards. And I'm not going to go into the full stories because I'm sure everyone knows about the stories. What I want to talk about is the process of what happens afterwards. So David sins against God. He's committed adultery. He's involved with murder. And he tries to get away with it. You, you actually read the stories, and for a number of chapters, David tries to engineer things so he doesn't get caught. And God speaks to the prophet Nathan, Samuel's died, and Nathan comes to David and says, actually, you've blown it. And the thing that struck me was that David always had a heart for God. And I think in some ways, we know that David sinned against God's heart. But in some way, I think he also went against his own heart that God had formed in him. Because I'm sure if you had the David at this point versus the young David, I think there would be a clear distinction. And the interesting thing was, is that when confronted with what he had done, Whereas previous kings had basically said, well, we're going to kill the prophet. No, that wasn't me. David owns up. And he says, I've sinned. I've made a mistake. And I think to me, that also reveals a little bit about the heart of David. We have all made mistakes. I can go beyond a shadow of doubt. I've done things that I know are not good at all. But how do I respond? Do I respond in a sense of ignoring them, or do I have a response of going back to God? And I want to read out Psalm 51, because this Psalm 51 deals with what is going on in David's heart when confronted. Yes, I know there's a part of him where he realizes he's been busted, but there's also a heart that realizes, actually, I've broken God's heart. So it says, have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Further on it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. That's, to me, it's extraordinary. Yes, he's sinned. Yes, he's done bad things. But it's his heart's response to me that's amazing. He knows an element of who God is, that he would come and he would say that in his prayer to God. He knows he's blown up. He knows he's made mistakes. But he appeals to the love of the Father. Now, some people often say it's very hard to see the Father's love in the Old Testament. But the Father has not changed. It's not like the Father suddenly came about in the New Testament. The Father was always there. And at that moment in time where David appeals, I have sinned against the Lord. But the heart of, this is interesting, the heart of the Father. Nathan the prophet says back to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. How do we respond when we make mistakes? How do we respond when we've blown it? I know it's hard, but our first call is to go running back to God. Just like the prodigal son did. And the reason why it's so hard is because we've picked up this idea that if we blow it, God the Father won't accept us. Whether that's, that's come from your own father's background, where you've done something in your past, and your dad sort of, you've come for forgiveness, and you've copped a chop over the face because you've gone out of line. But the heart of the Father is so different. We come running But God comes running out to embrace us when we turn to him, like the prodigal son. And the heart of the father is just so overwhelming. It's just so encompassing in everything that we've got. At that point, when we receive the embrace of the father, that's the moment where we can just say, actually... God's forgiven me so much. From that which I deserve to be punished and I have been restored, from that place of restoration, that's where I can do a dance. That's where I can let loose because his love for us has restored me when I didn't deserve it. The 
The other song that I've been listening to is uh, another one by Delirious Obsession. And there's a line in there, my heart burns for you. If you read the lyrics for Obsession, there's like, I carry pride like a disease. It's very much like a psalm, a modern psalm written by David. I think Martin Smith wrote it, I think. But the idea is, he pours it out, but the chorus goes, my heart burns for you because of what you have done for me. When I have deserved punishment, you have come and given me something different. To me, when I look at David, I look at someone who had an overwhelming passion from God. Yes, he'd made mistakes, but his heart was focused on God. That's the thing. When we look at various things, the terms of the Psalms, we get this sense of overwhelming thankfulness that David has. Psalm 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice. I will sing the praises of your name most high. Psalm 145. I will sing. I will exalt you, my God, my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithfulness he does. I'm almost finished. I just want to remind something that um, the Bucklands Backlands did uh, when they were here. And it struck with me, and when I was challenged this week, I was challenged by God, was the sense of when, uh, if you weren't here, we had a couple there from Bethel, and the idea was this sense of laughing. And I remember at the time thinking, well, I don't feel like it. And I remember him saying about, well, you start and just see what happens. And I found myself getting into a position where I just didn't feel like it. And then I would just start, oh, I've had a lousy day. I know God is good, but I don't feel like it. But I'm going to start, I suppose some people would just stay, start in the flesh. And I'd just start laughing. <laughs> And I just start laughing. And you know what? Every single time, within a minute, my whole outlook had changed. My whole thing had changed from one of being, oh, woe is me, oh, downtrodden, to one of sense of, praise God for all that you've done. Yes, my life has been pretty dim this week, but praise God, and my outlook changes my outlook changes. There's a passion that overwhelms. My heart burns for you, O oh God. That's joy, that's passion that just can't be contained. We go out into the world and it's like that passion for God just overwhelms. Where you walk into a room and the atmosphere changes because you carry this passion, this joy 
for God in all circumstances. Every single one of you. Can we have the worship team up, please? So, I'd like everyone to stand up. One of the things I found this week preparing this talk, I was challenged in many different ways. And I had to take a step out, out of my comfort zone, and into a place where God wanted me to be. And this morning I feel like that the chance is for all of us to take a step out in faith. So this is something I'm sensing God wants us to do. If you are someone who wants to have a greater passion, a greater hunger, desire for God, I want you to come to the front. There's something about taking a step out of our comfort zone to the place where God says, thank you. So just close your eyes. The worship team are going to play. Father, we just, we want to have a heart. A heart that burns for you. You've done so much in our lives. How can we not but praise you? How can we not but thank you like David did for all that you've done? Holy Spirit, I just pray now that you would just drop into every single one here a passion, a burning flame for God. Holy Spirit is the one that helps us. And so, Father God, burn in us. We are hungry for you, Lord God. We want more of you. Pour out, Father. A passion, a passion that won't be changed.